Welcome to the second episode of Will Listen, the podcast of South Carolina Women in Leadership. I'm Sarah Ballard. Each month, we bring you a new episode that speaks to informing, inspiring, and involving talented women with diverse and inclusive perspectives to step into leadership roles at every level. This month, Ann Miller interviews author Jenna Arnold about her book, Raising Our Hands, how white women can stop avoiding hard conversations, start accepting responsibility, and find our place on the new front lines. White women are one of the most influential demographics in America, the largest voting bloc with purchasing power that exceeds any other demographic, and when we unify to demand change, we are a force to be reckoned with. Jenna Arnold crisscrossed the U.S. to have conversations with white women about their identity and role in the country and found some common characteristics, ones that get in the way of us becoming more engaged as citizens. We're so focused on checking off our to-do lists or so afraid of getting it wrong or so busy trying to sidestep conflict that we are actively avoiding the urgent conversations we need to have. Raising our hands is a reckoning call for white women. Jenna Arnold asks us to step up and join the new front lines in the fight against complacency in our homes, in our communities, and in our own minds. She questions why so many white women sit idly on the sidelines, opting out of raising our hands to do, learn, and engage in ways that could make a difference. In the interview, she acknowledges that we can be furious about indignity and injustice and also admit to being complicit at the same time. Because of privilege and bias, white women have knowingly and unknowingly played by a certain set of rules, and it's time for us to be honest with ourselves about the contradictions in our society. In Jenna's words, it's time we raised our hands to say, I'm in. I'm in the front row of this classroom. I need to understand and to learn. We can no longer make excuses for why we don't have time or don't know enough. Jenna Arnold is an educator, entrepreneur, activist, and mother who lives in New York City with her husband and two children. She is known as the co-founder of Organize, a nonprofit focused on ending the waitlist for organ transplants in the U.S. for her work at the United Nations and MTV, and was a national organizer for the Women's March on Washington. Oprah has called Arnold one of the 100 awakened leaders who are using their voice and talent to elevate humanity. Jenna is currently the Chief Impact Officer for the impact investing platform Rethink, funding companies working to solve some of the world's most complex problems, equitable education, food distribution, climate sustainability, community growth, and empowering women and minority populations. Jenna sits on a number of boards, including the Sesame Workshop Leadership Council and is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. Ann Miller is a certified yoga instructor and owner of the Rooted Community Yoga Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. She is happily married and the mother of two wonderful and athletic boys, a school volunteer, active in the community, and deeply committed to her faith and church. Ann is certified to teach yoga to children on the autism spectrum and is a trauma-informed teacher. Ann sees yoga as a personal way to journey through life as a healthy, happy, contributing part of the community. She is one of 100 founders of South Carolina Women in Leadership. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for taking time to be with us. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So let's start with you just um, telling us, telling the audience today, what is something that you would like us to know about you today in this moment? That I'm barely keeping it together. <laughs> that um, 
that just the juggle of life is so real and it's so hard and there's like all these legacy beliefs of like balance and sorted and organized and like i've seen that and experienced that for like seven minute windows three times in my life <laughs> um you know it was like it was getting my kids into the car this morning was like harder than describing white supremacy in the book like it's just it you know i'm just in the middle of life as a mom with you know two kids and trying to stare at the headlines and figure out what write books <laughs> figure out what we're gonna do next um but i think in this moment just i don't know either good but i mean i think that's a uh a permission or invitation for all of us as women to to be vulnerable and to say, yeah, I, I got a lot of plates spinning and it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, personal and lovely part about yourself. So the name of your book, how about if we jump by, where did the title come from? What's the title? mean to you and where are you hoping the title leads and guides us into the book well the title was something that we wrestled with until like the 11th hour and 59th minute and i had a number of titles one that i was really excited about that i thought was really deep in the beginning of writing the book um called all the truths and um and my publisher wasn't into it because she's like, Jenna, that doesn't tell anybody what they're buying. <laughs> I was like, they're buying the complicated state of the world and that we have to hold contradicting truths at the same time. And she was like, no one wants to buy that. No one wants to know that. <laughs> I was like, oh no. So um, I, we were, you know, the publisher was just like hunting me down for weeks. Like you gotta, we got, and I probably in the end had 170 something titles. Wow. And in the last minute we were whittling a down to last two or three and then someone who was on the call I think she was the designer at the at the publisher she was just like what about raising her hands and like it was just like a moment of like oh yeah duh because if you'll see in the book for those of you who read it I used this emoji throughout the copy because as I was drafting the first draft of the manuscript I would get to points ideas um concepts where I wanted to say like me too right like I'm complicit and I'm infuriated and want to do something better I don't know but I want to know and it was like this moment of like I don't know how to wrap my arms around that with language so I'm just gonna put the emoji because <laughs> the emoji says like that's me as well and then um and so when she said that and then I was like oh and I convinced the publisher to keep the emoji in the book um it was like, yeah, no duh. So, so to me, it's this idea of when we raise, raising our hands is a different action than standing up or protesting or screaming or being silent. And, it, you know, again, that's where all the complicatedness of many truths existing at the same time are is that sometimes we have to scream at the top of our lungs. And sometimes as white women, we have to shut and you you have to do both and you also have to refine your skill to know when to do what 
and raising our hands just felt a little bit more like um in i'm i need to understand and learn and ask the questions that I never have, and maybe my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother never did either, um, but like, let's do this. I'm on the, I'm in the front row of this classroom. Well, and I, I, you know, for me, it's interesting as I read it twofold. As, as a yoga teacher, um, when we talk about heart energy, the, the heart chakra, um, the color is green. And so as I was preparing and reading your book, I don't know if you can see all my, all my Oh my gosh, that is so exciting to me. I need a photo of that book. I have to post it on my Instagram. <laughs> oh my God, that's all I want to see. Well, okay, because that means like you learned one thing. I have to show you mine. Here's mine. Mine also is highly tabbed. Yeah. It's also so it's highly tabbed. tabbed. It's colored. But <gasps> my, oh my God, I love my, it. I have to go back and look. So I used green, the heart, the heart energy, the, the self, true self energy. And when you made all your heartfelt confessions, and I bet every, I bet every one of them is where that emoji is. And and for me, it was like, oh yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, if you raise your hand, and there's kind of that herd mentality, that group mentality when we vote and when we do things. If if one person's going to kind of be willing, then maybe more of us will, will put, put more time. Okay, listen, you, I need like a little video, selfie video of you being like, here's my raising your hands and green is the heartfelt and pink is because ever likes pink or whatever you decided, but I oh, love it. I am, it. you see my, my notebook for those of you who are watching visually, it's like highly color coded. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything in my head is highly disorganized. <laughs> well, yeah, so, yeah, there's colors and all. So let's let's go ahead and do that and, and jump in. I have, and I got to put my glasses on. I have, when, I, when we jump further into the book, that I have um, in chapter seven, for what, for me, what I feel is like the whole of the book. So I have, it's our dignity that's in jeopardy. The only way to repair our nation's dignity is to equalize access to opportunities, not by performing one-time well-intended acts of charity, but by calling into question, working to change the systems that have benefited us, but that have kept the poor poor. We must push our systems to support all of us and not just some of us. So for me, I kind of feel like that's, for me, and that got multiple tabs, just so you know, lots of colors. Um, that that got a lot. Um, and then um, continuing further on, um, I went to page 197. But what we can determine is whether we do the work to make our own lives tend towards justice. The question is not whether we are capable of connecting with a broader community and developing a positive global identity that embraces diversity, rather than dwelling on superficial differences, but rather how we get honest enough with ourselves to do so. And I think those are, I mean, I think that's the, the for me, that's the hand up, that's the call to action that you are um, giving us. Um, in, in the work starts individually that we have to come to terms with ourselves. 
brand ourselves within this place that we were born into and a set of rules that we didn't design, but have been playing by. And because we've agreed to play by them, knowingly and unknowingly, mm-hmm. it keeps kept them firmly in their place. And I think this is the real conundrum of this great awakening that's happening, particularly for white women is total guilt, total responsibility, total complicity, total innocence. And it's like, I'm so eager for everyone to, to take ourselves out of all of those different kinds of buckets and just be so focused on how we move and behave and operate moving forward. That's not permission to not reconcile the past and not just like what you did when you were 21 or what you did when you were 13 or what your grandfather did. Cause all of those things have to be looked at, but this idea of we have to reconcile this past so that we can move forward. Because if not, we're just going to continue to push chess pieces around. Like even as I'm listening to the executive orders and um, seeing all these appointments that I'm so excited about and watching stimulus checks or not stimulus check, like just this, we're just moving money around, right? And, and I feel disheartened sometimes because it just feels like this is all a big band-aid. Like this isn't going to fundamentally work until indigenous women on reservations are allowed to own land. Right. You know, like, yeah, food stamps and land rights. Yeah. Like, like, yes, public education and telling the right stories. You know, it's like, it's all of that stuff. And to me, I found such freedom and hope in looking more clearly at things, seeing the greater contradictions. I think sometimes people are are scared to jump into the deep end because they're going to be like, oh, welfare, we can't afford it and we can't, I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, you don't have, like, you're, if, if the experts don't have the answer, I don't know why you think you would, but like have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> Have a seat and pay attention. I like that. Yeah. So Jenna, one of the things that I really appreciate is, well, one of my questions was to you, what, let me ask that. What is your favorite word either in life or in writing? Maybe they're two. I know for me, they would be two separate ones. My favorite word doesn't go to print or shouldn't go to print, but um, um, maybe they do for you. Why is your favorite word a curse word? Oh Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, my favorite, well, just since I'll, I'll commiserate or celebrate with you, but I also love cursing and, um, being a mom hasn't stopped that behavior. And I'm a little bit proud that my children use curse words. Correctly. <laughs> correctly. If they're going to use them, let's use them correctly. There we go. That's my intention to like bulldoze through that sort of appropriate behavior. And, you know, I've never been asked about my favorite word before. Um, But the one that came to mind when you asked is the word hello. 
And it's silly because, and only my bestest friend from fifth grade, she's still my best friend today, um, would appreciate why that's comical. When I was a kid, I was severely dyslexic. I had a very, very hard time reading. And, um, and as a consequence, like I was a terrible speller. I still am. Like I have no patience in my day for spell check. I've never not been able to get my point across to the recipient because of a poorly spelled email. They've always understood it. I don't care if they judge me. Um, and for the longest time till I was in like my tweens, I think I was like 13. I was, it was Friday night. I went to Blockbuster with my best friend, Brooke and my mom. And we were waiting in line to check out a Blockbuster and on the cash register, the little screen that faces you that says, hello, welcome to Blockbuster. It said H-E-L-L-O, welcome to Blockbuster. And I, there was like a moment of silence throughout the store and there was like neighbors there. And like, we saw, like, we just, it was like the thing on Friday night, moment of silence. And I said to the cashier, oh, excuse me, ma'am, you spelled hello wrong. And everyone sort of is like, oh, that's interesting. What is she talking about? And looks at the screen and it wasn't spelled incorrectly. I said, it's H-E-L-L-O-W. And my mom then proceeded to like find a way out of the door of Blockbuster. And my best friend was just mortified. And they were like, how, that's not how you spell hello. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. You spell yellow with a W and we're saying hello. <laughs> and and so I'll still even go to write an email. And if I'm using the term hello, H-E-L-L-O, I always go to add the W. Like I, I at some point I'm going to launch a campaign to add W back to hello. And, but at the same time, it's like this word that has been a running joke in my family about my absolute imperfection when it comes to spelling. Also my lack of interest in making it right. And then you know, I, whenever I love saying hello to people who are not sure what the appropriate social rules are, like there was a mom at school who I could tell was just like being a little bit bashful in the parking lot. And I was like, Hey, hello, how are you? And just like this desire to be friends with people and to like be in connection with other humanity. So I think hello from the embarrassment for everyone else except me and also that it's a beautiful bridge. Well, I like that because I was going to, well, I wanted to wait to see what you said, but one of the words that you use often throughout the book in a variety of beautiful ways is dignity. Um, and I kind of think what you were just saying is that in the imperfection, you're okay with it. You still maintain your dignity in saying hello, however you want to do that. But in the book, um, you talk about that restoring dignity takes a long time and that um, you know, for me, it's like there's always going to be scars from the indignity that we've done to the indigenous women or to women of color or to anyone that doesn't benefit from the white supremacy that we are, we are living in. And so, you know, is one of the things that we need to do is to, to celebrate, to honor and to dignify those scars and move forward from that point to say, hey, I got, I spelled hello wrong, but we can go forward from here. Yeah, you know, it's dignity is a 
um, it, it is a word when you asked, like it would probably be in my top 20, but dignity is such a complex concept. And I, and I briefly touched on it in the book and I, you know, there's a part of me that could have left it out completely because it is, it is like soul level work. Mm-hmm. And, and this, the book was meant to be 101, but you know, I often, I, I felt like it was an important, it was important to put two or three pages around it because um, to me, dignity is one of the most important currencies that we can protect for people to give themselves. And what I mean by that is it's never, I will never be able to give it to you. It's something that you have to allow yourself to give to yourself based on, you know, the rules of the world and how you bounce your ideas of yourself off of that. But it's this idea of like, you know, it doesn't matter who loves you. You have to love yourself type thing, you know, that kind of concept. And one of my most favorite stories, probably actually I can say with absolute certainty that my most favorite story ever in the history of stories is the following one, which is. Which I didn't put in the book. And now that I'm thinking about like, why didn't I put this in the dignity section? But, oh, maybe I did. You'll tell me if I did. I forget what I wrote. Go on. Um, it was uh, right after the end of World War II um, and the concentration camps had been liberated and allied forces had shown up at the front gates, we'll say Auschwitz, and walked in and saw horror upon horror of the state that human beings were living in and radioed back and said, we need everything. We need every medical supply. We need um, nutrition. We need like food, anything, just send anything. And the next day, because it took a while to get to the next day, planes flew over the camps and started dropping boxes. So these soldiers who were there and desperate to help folks ran over to the boxes, ripped them open to start handing out everything that they could. And what was inside was red red lipstick. And a shipment that was meant to include food, had the boxes had gotten mixed up in transit. And so what fell was red lipstick. And the soldiers recount that what these people who were held in concentration camps intentionally exterminated did is they took out the red lipstick and they started putting red lipstick on each other's cheeks and like blending it in so that their cheeks were a little bit more red and the women were putting red lipstick on their lips and that there was folks who were on their deathbed even in that 24-hour window and they were asking to have red lipstick put on them and this idea that this red lipstick delivered dignity like this humanity in a very sort of tangible superficial way but on something much more godlike and existential and so when i think about this idea of dignity it's like you know being able to present yourself in the world in the way that makes you feel proud enough so that you don't have to worry about whether or not you're worthy or you don't have to worry about whether or not you're needed. You don't have to worry about whether or not you have purpose, but this idea of like dignified presentation, be it in just your fashion or at more foundational and fundamental levels related to like gender or race or class or ability. And this idea that like 
when we create systems that center humanity, that lift from the bottom, that we can create, we can put up the boundaries to protect, to protect dignity so that people can find that themselves. Because sometimes there's, and I know I use this example in the book, where sometimes like soup kitchens will be like, we're helping people have dignity by, no, you're giving them a hot meal. You can't ever give anybody dignity. You can't ever give anybody self-love. And so to me, I stood on the board of Sesame Workshop and it wasn't until I joined the board of Sesame Workshop that I had an appreciation for what they do internationally. I had no idea. I thought it was just like the most phenomenal, you know, morning television show for toddlers, but they take their programming to um, countries around the world, particularly in conflict regions, particularly um, folks who are refugees. And they set up these programs in these hands so that the puppets see children and the children feel seen by these characters and by being seen by somebody who exudes love and kindness and yes I want to hug everybody it increases dignity and so I'll go on the record and say like I think Sesame Workshop is as important as the World Health Organization or the World Food, Pro Food Program or the United Nations because they're protecting dignity. They're protecting the way that people feel, children feel about themselves. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And, a and long response to dignity. But <laughs> I have so much to say about dignity. Well, and that's, you know, there's so many directions that I want to go with that. But I, I think that the, that the Sesame Street kind of helps me lead where I, I wanted to go with the next idea as that, and it's twofold. I want to go towards how, how women specifically can raise their hand and then a, a couple more as to some of the, the information that brought you to this book. But I know that like some of the women reading the book are going to find a hard time finding themselves capable of raising their hand or doing something. And so what you, for me, what you were just saying about Sesame Street, the simplicity of a puppet and what a puppet can bring to a child or to humanity. I think we need to look for that within ourselves. Where's that internal puppet of self and find, find one, one thing that you're good at, that you're passionate at. You're, you're not gonna fix the world. We're not gonna fix indigenous and of color and of, I mean, we can't. So finding that one thing that each woman can do well and staying with it. And you give beautiful ideas in the books. I mean, my favorite is um, weight, which I've used a lot since, since, since you did it. So, um, for, for those of you that have not read the book, her weight is why am I, or what am I talking about? Or why am I talking? Yeah. Just, why am I talking? Why am I talking? Why am I talking? But I also think it's kind of like what your mom said, count to 10, wait, why am I talking? And then you can make that decision as to what and who you're going to be in this reconciliation process. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I don't, you know, you ask like, what are you, what, what do you want folks to know about you right now? And it's that, I don't know, you know, like I wrote this 
really long book with like a quadrillion sources and a bibliography that took down half the rainforest. And like, I'm telling you, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I know that I wanna prioritize the most vulnerable to get the vaccine. I know I'm also scared of COVID. I know that big pharma has also caused harm. I also know that big pharma is what's gonna save millions if not billions of lives going into this next phase. I know I wanted the Democratic Party to win this election. I also know that Biden wasn't my horse. I know, you know, it's like we have to strip ourselves from the binary of like, well, you either know or you don't. You either won or you lost. And this freedom to say like, I, I love this example, um, right after George Floyd was murdered and those uh, immediate weeks after that, there was still is, but very much in a much louder way, discussion around defunding law enforcement. And it was a newish concept to me. I didn't know that that movement had been, uh, like I didn't realize that the ground had been laid in the way that it had been until it surfaced a little bit more. And one of my friends who's on the forefront of the movement said, posted something on Instagram. She goes, here are the 14 steps that we should enact to defund or to reallocate resources. Um, and I was like, oh, this is great. And like two days later, I went back to her Instagram feed to repost her 14 step suggestion and I couldn't find it on her feed. So I talked to her, I'm like, hey, where's that thing? And she goes, oh, I pulled it down because it turns out step four and step seven need a little bit more work. And it wasn't, and I was like, okay. And instead of being like, oh, well, forget it. This is going to let me go back to Netflix or the Kardashians or Bachelorette. It was just like, okay, I'm going to sit here and wait until she reposts something else with a tighter step four and step seven. And if she and other experts decide to rewrite the entire thing, okay. And when we realize some of that plan also isn't going to be as great, as effective, as productive, as fair, as moral as we were hoping, I'm here for the iteration. And so this idea of like getting out of our way that like there's some turnkey, if there was a turnkey folks, like we wouldn't be in Right, exactly. If there was a oh my God, yeah. I'm using that analogy now. Right. If there was a diet pill, like we would have people yeah. would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think for to me too, your your weight is something that we as privileged white women don't do well. We don't, we don't we don't wait. We don't wait in line well. We don't wait for our kids to get into school well. We don't wait for our husbands to get board nominations. And we don't, we don't wait well and peacefully to listen to other voices. Mm -hmm. we, we like to rush in and bandage, um, which is part of our nurturing quality. But we need to wait. We need to listen to those. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because um, we are, we're raised still, you know, the patriarchal society still tells us the white supremacist society says there's only two positions. <laughs> you're dominating or you're being dominated. And when you live in a society that believes those are the only two spots, mm. the 
you one has to force themselves physically, vocally, from a power perspective to be domineering. Mm. And so we assume that, you know, voice and leadership and taking control of a situation and grabbing the bull by its horns is the, the, the better position is the 51% position. In some cases it is. Um, but, you know, the, the grace to, and the, and the freedom and the strength and the allyship and of being a follower Mm -hmm. is what needs to happen. And I hope that in a way it's like, y'all can calm down. Like no one is looking to you to solve the problem because ladies, if you knew the solution, you might have already implemented it. The problem is is that we and ourselves are the problem, right? Like we are part of the problem. So it's a little bit hard for us to see the solution. And it's almost like those around us who are serving as the mirrors are the ones that are like, yo, come here for a second. Like, you know how you always run for student president because you think you're being helpful? It's not. Yeah. It's not. Step out of the limelight and let somebody else do it. Yep. Well, and, you know, that the connection then to how we are are part of the problem and we are in our own ways, both in our mind and our body and in, in the change process. So it was enlightening for me within the book to read the source of the, the blueprint that you call. I mean, starting with our constitution on down where there is no feminine language at all and how that lack of feminine representation um, permeates into everything and especially to those that don't have voice or don't have dignity to 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 step aside and find a different way to get their kids in school or to get food um so yeah so the constitution and talking about you know where roe versus wade came from those were all revealing interesting things that i think will help when when people read your book to make better educated um decisions of their roles and and where they want to be. I think, you know, if there's anything, I mean, there's like a million things I want you to get from the book. And I also have no idea what I want you to get from the book, but like this idea of just sharpening your ability to call bullshit. Yeah. No, I just think it's like the mask debate. I didn't realize was a wedge issue until like two months ago, right? Like I've only, I might not have recognized that it was a wedge issue for like years if I didn't understand what wedge issues were. And so I was able to like, just call bullshit sooner. Yeah. You know? And that is, I think that's a really important part of the exercise and the mindset of what we in this generation, in this moment, on this page, in our history have to do is track our behavior, track what we're hearing, track just the black ink on white paper and be like, does that 
add up. You know, I, there was someone who like wrote this article and they were like, yeah, you can like all the people in California can de deny climate change. And then they walk out their front doors and there's like fire everywhere. Like you don't need, there's, there's so much obvious proof in our world that like we, I don't need someone else to add up what is and what isn't. Obviously I can't produce a vaccine, right? Like I don't, there's, there's things that I'm not capable of doing, but like the larger, broader stuff, like, I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious to most of us. I think it's pretty obvious to most of us, you know, like sometimes I get in it. I have a lot of active white supremacists and extremists that I work with and that follow me on social media and we've developed um civil enough relationships because one I always want to have my ear to the ground of what it is that they're doing um and 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 two you know I keep testing my theories like oh if I say this or if we have this conversation if I show them this oh they're going to turn da, 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 da. and um and it's just been so fascinating you know they'll say things when I did this Instagram live with one of them you can find on my Instagram and you know he was using the example of well like I have rich black friends and we I do too <laughs> but I also drive through very poor communities on my way to the airport and most of those communities seem like they're inhabited by people of color and just because like we elected a black president doesn't mean that there aren't also things that I can see and put together myself. Right. Yeah. Let me look at my questions here. Sure. So, um, one of the things that, um, I like that you, um, that you talked about that we, as, as white women, women of affluence, whatever that affluence may be, you talk about performance chores. And I, I really, like that and so in starting to read the book have been very mindful as to what my performance chores are to you know to maintain what i have as a, as a lifestyle a relationship with my husband and my boys and even as a yoga studio owner you know with with my clients and all that and so kind of going back to your call bullshit on it it is it authentic or is it a performance? And I think that's a, an important thing for us to, to really ask ourselves and, and to ask each other. Yeah, you know, the performance chores, I, sometimes this part of the conversation sometimes get he, gets heated with women who have read the book. And one example was someone was like, well, I send thank you notes for when people give me presents. Is that a performance chore? And um, and we spent a lot of time unpacking thank you notes and like, I love sending thank you notes because I love stationery. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was trying to get, like, I was, we were sort of like fumbling through and I'm like, well, yeah, like some of the people that I had to send thank you notes to for my wedding presents, like they were definitely just on a list of people I had to say thank you to. And then there were like the people that I was I had something heartfelt to say and it's not like okay the people who are just thanking for the set of china like i shouldn't send a thank you note but it's this idea of just like as you said just having your antenna up and um and i'm not saying do away with performance chores 
like thank you notes, but I am saying do away with performance chores, like making excuses for your son at the expense of everybody else. And so there's like stuff that, I don't know, I don't feel like I'm packing like thank you notes, but there's stuff that I have to, like if my son's whining, I'm like doting over him. And then my daughter whines, I'm like, get over it. And those things, I got to hold my feet to the fire on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it's going to be interesting. And, and I, you know, I loved reading like what you were just talking about, unpacking thank you notes in your, in your listening circle. I think it's going to be, for me, I, I like being in community. I like being in, in circles in essence. Um, but globally, in, in my opinion, globally, women have always come to circle together. And I think we as American white women have stepped away from that. I think we become competitive and isolated. And so maybe this idea of just standing in the mystery and the questions and talking together, which is what I think you offer in the book is, is the best thing that we can, can do before we try to create a game plan is just be together, just know each other, love and respect each other. I really appreciate that and amen. And, you know, there, I talked a little bit earlier in this conversation about, you know, we have to do both things. We have to shut up and we have to scream at the top of our lungs. And um, I often use the analogy, I don't know if you or anyone else listening has ever had to call 911, but when you're in a situation and you have to call 911, you know when you have to call 911. Like you're never like, eh, should I call an ambulance? Like you are like in it, 911, like the whole thing, you're like all in. Yeah. And then there have been moments where I'm like, uh, I probably, I think I can, I think I can drive them to get the stitches. You know, like there was, there's been moments where I'm like, I think I can navigate this without, you know, full alarm. And I would suggest the same thing as we move through in like the, our social justice work. I don't know if you're the viewers or you are familiar with the Amy Cooper story, the white woman who was in Central Park, who had her dog off a leash and a bird watcher who was a black man, um, said to her, you need to put your dog on leash. It's the rules in the park. And she made up this overlandish story about how this black man was trying to attack her. And she called the police and lied about what he was doing. And in those moments, like, no, 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 no. That's like a 911 moment. You have to get in there and be like, when police are called on black men, sometimes they get killed. Like, stop what you're doing. And then sometimes there's moments where your husband or your brother-in-law or your father-in-law says something a bit misogynistic and you pull them aside, you know, as you're loading the car and you're like, Hey, you said something last night that I'm wrestling with and maybe you can help me figure it out. And that's like not a 911 moment, but it's a moment where you can call somebody in. And I feel that same way about like how we work forward where yes, we can be in community. Yes. We need to ask each other, conversations. Yes, we need to put our arms around each other and be like, 
well, this is hard. <laughs> like, wow, we really have our work cut out for us right now, even though we're in one of the most privileged nations in a race that has been designed to protect us in ways that it has in other people. It is still complicated. So yes, let's be in community, but there's also a media action that can and always should be taken, i.e. voting for president, i.e. paying attention to who's running to be sheriff, you know, i.e., like ladies like there should be no more plastic bottled water bottles in your home anymore like none period none period there should be no more water bottles in your house you know like there's just there is also as we sit in community and ask the existential questions it's like and there's also rules yeah you need to be sitting down with your teenage son and being real clear on consensus and say If she shows up in five months or five years from now, I'm not going to say, was her skirt too short? Did she drink too much? I'm going to say, I'm going to hold you accountable. You know, like my son is three and he's a total asshole. (laughs) And I keep saying to my friends, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have to have so many conversations about me too. Like we are going to have to like really do this. Um, so it's like, it's like that there's like, there's real homework, there's real book reports that we can deliver and you still have to decide what kind of major you want to be. Well, and you know, and, and part of our, part of our work is what you just said is being parents that don't continue to allow the systems and the systems that you talk in the book, the patriarch, the supremacy, the white supremacy, those have got to be dismantled. And we as mothers can start doing it from ground up with our boys and with our girls, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And those are hard conversations sometimes, but very needed and necessary conversations, just like, like all of these. I mean, you, you throughout the book talk about these are hard conversations, but they are conversations that we cannot not not have anymore. We, we have to have these conversations. And, you know, I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's one thing that I don't have a lot of sympathy with. Like I even see it with the women in my family. I come from a very large family with a lot of type A women. And I'm the first one to be like, oh, wait a second, y'all, we got to talk about like X, Y, Z. And like, I'll put it smack in the middle of the room. And I am really comfortable with like courageous conversations. My mom and all my aunts, on the other hand, will like dodge a topic for 30 years. No joke. And so I just want you all to know that, like, I know there's some of you out there who are like, oh, I'm dying with this grudge that I held because of something she did at my wedding 25 years ago. And like, that's just not something I can relate to. But it's also something that I'm like, that's stupid. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) And I will say, like, my family, I know this wasn't part of the recording, my family is going through an awful tragedy right now um, in the large part of my family, an awful tragedy. And because things weren't dealt with, petty things weren't dealt with prior to the past 20, 30 years, petty. It's dictating who's able to get in and be the most helpful in moments of crisis. Right. Because those that are in crisis only want certain people around And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, we need everyone here. And like three of you can't be because of like the something, something that was said in 1984. (laughs) And like, you know, that's, that's where I'm like, 
no, I got enough. Let's go. <laughs> got enough. Well, let me kind of bring this to to a point where we can uh, say thank you, but also enjoy. Um, so for us um, with Will and you know the organization here and us looking to increase our circles, um, listening circles or talking circles. Um, but one of the things that we also wanna increase is this idea of social justice and our women's role in that. And so um, for us, some of the things that we'll be looking at doing is um, better racial representation um, that we don't have to be the CEOs. We don't have to fill the traditional men's, I know you did that in the book, mm -hmm. um, don't have to be in the CEO or run for office, um, but start with your children, start with your husbands, start with your brothers. Um, but also pretty much where we began the conversation is don't try to be perfect and don't expect perfection. Set aside, <clears throat> the busyness um, and just be, be here, be open, be present and raise your hand. Yes, I mean, you summed it up brilliantly. I don't need to add any more. I, I would say go after the titles if you want, but that's not the work. <laughs> the work is how you in relationship with the people who empty your you know, desk trash cans every night. Your work is, you know, are you providing minimum wage plus, plus, plus for your employees? You're, you know, I just keep thinking like the amount of people who have made so much money during the pandemic or the amount of corporations that, massive corporations that aren't offering minimum wage. I just keep thinking like, I, I don't think any more of your executives need any more boats, like personal boats. I know billionaires and I can attest that the most ridiculous, spectacular homes with the biggest diamonds and the blah, blah, blah. Like I'm telling you, it doesn't bring them happiness. It doesn't. And that's not to say like, I love superficial stuff. Like I, I love me some jewelry and beautiful homes and lovely boat rides. But like at some point you don't need, right? Like at some point you, I love going to home goods. I, whenever I go to home goods, I'm like, I don't need anything. And then by the time I get to the front of the store, my entire cart is like overflowing. How? Every time, every time I don't, and you know, there's this idea of like, don't go to home goods anymore. You know, like you just, we don't need stuff. We don't need all of the stuff. Um, and so I just think, you know, from a social justice perspective, it's this philosophy of it's very, it's a binary interpretation of like, everybody wants the square footage in my house. Everyone wants a walk-in closet. You know, that same assumption that like all men want red midlife crisis Corvettes, like I don't know anyone who wants that, but it's like this assumption that people like, I don't know. I don't know. Not every person I know wants, you know, massive diamond rings and trips to Europe. Like, I don't know. I know people who just like want really beautiful paints to paint really beautiful landscapes from their home. Like this idea of like, everyone's gunning after the same thing is part of the white supremacist patriarchal capitalistic narrative that we've all fallen for. Why have we all worn white wedding dresses? 
<laughs> all have fallen for it. Everyone's wedding ring, including mine, is on our left ring finger. Like we just all fall for this, like here are the rules, follow them. And so my encouragement is just to start asking questions more. And like bad news, the answers aren't always there or crystal clear. Um, but I think, you know, us doing that work is going to help propel things forward. And recognize in the asking of the questions and setting aside the stuff and the goods to do it with compassion and forgiveness of, of ourselves, um, but also to recognize the, the, the necessary healing that we need to leave room for in, in other people's. And so, um, it's not, it's not going to happen overnight, um, but we need to be present through the light and the darkness. And I think your book is brilliant in offering the, um, the steps and the guidelines to do that. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for putting so much work into that book. I, I'm, I mean it. I want like all the photos of the book. I want to know what you coded. Like there's a part of me that's like, how do I get my hands on that book? I want to see like what actually resonated for her because as a writer, you're like every, every like hour I'm like, is this is stupid. <laughs> like no one wants to read this. And then sometimes I was like, oh my God, this is so important. I have to get this out like tomorrow. And then I'm like, yeah, I don't think anyone wants this. <laughs> so it's, it's really nice to see someone put so much work into it. So thank you. Well, thank you. Well, it was, you know, being asked to do this conversation, which it's been a blessing for me to do this conversation with you. I felt great responsibility um, to be prepared and perform correctly and do it. But then when I started getting into the book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a gift of personal development and awareness. So it was twofold, the markers. Um, and yeah, and I'm, I'll get in touch with you and I'll share with you, but yeah, you know, like the, the blue ones were for the men and it's, oh my gosh. it's Did you? okay. And what were the other colors? Um, the pink ones are for the women that in, in the, 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 um, growing edges, the orange are the societal ones where okay, hold it up. I'm taking a screenshot. I'm posting this on Instagram straight away. Oh my God. I love it. Don't move. Hold on. I'm doing a few more. <gasps> oh my God. I love it. Okay. Turn it a little bit so I can see the cover of it so that people know it's a little bit mine. Yes. <gasps> oh my God. I love it. You've made my day. Well, thank you. You've made mine. So thank you for this experience and for sharing with us. And um, as we continue to grow and enhance our circles here in South Carolina, hopefully I would, I like would be, I would love to be a fly on the wall. I'm in for any listening circle. Well, the questions I, I asked here are like that. So last year. <laughs> Well, you know what? You just put it on video and we both have the same book. So I, you will be in South Carolina at some point. I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much and blessings to you and your family. Likewise. Bye. If this episode has you thinking about ways you can raise your hand and make a difference in your community, we invite you to join us at our annual Springboard Virtual Conference presented by Bank of America on March 19th. 
Springboard will help you gain the confidence and knowledge to step forward and seek positions on local and statewide appointed boards and commissions that best suit your experience and interests. You will hear from women leaders about why building racial and gender representation from the ground up is essential to moving our state forward, get insights on building confidence, learn how appointed boards work and the power they have to affect your daily life, and find a board in your community that fits your experience and interests and learn how to apply. Visit the events section of scwomenlead.net for the full springboard schedule and more information on other upcoming South Carolina Women in Leadership events and how you can get involved. Thank you very much for listening. Will Listen is brought to you by South Carolina Women in Leadership. Please share this episode and your comments on social media. Our handle is at scwomenlead. This episode was produced by Shannon Ivey with the What She Said Project. That's We'll Listen for this month. I'm Sarah Ballard. Join us next month as Eleanor Davis Perel talks about upcoming legislative redistricting with Lynn Teague from the League of Women Voters.